Hello, welcome back to Creative Chit Chat. I'm Ryan McLeod and I'm going to try and keep it brief this week um, as an intro because we've got a bit of an extra long episode. Uh, my guest Rick Curran, um, I sort of asked him to, to split the episode, I suppose, into, into two parts and tell two different stories. Um, one being his career from sort of college to, to working as a, as a graphic designer um, to then going to university and then coming out and sort of getting involved in the sort of early days of the web and then sort of building a career as a, as a web developer. Um, but then the other side of it, um, he's been sort of involved in the the skate community for the last uh, 30 years and he talks me through sort of from the 80s up till now how sort of Dundee skate scene has evolved, the the design aspects of it, the technology involved in some of the parks, how they were built, um, the the spaces from sort of Stobswell to the old DCA building um, to sort of where we are now with much more modern sort of concrete parks but then also sort of um, dearth and, and indoor parks for the winter and things like that so uh, yeah sort of fascinating and sort of lovely history that, that Rick takes us through as well as his own career so we sort of jump between the two as we, we sort of go through the, the decades I suppose so yeah let's I'm not going to go any longer than that let's just jump into the episode this is web developer Rick Curran cool yeah I mean my kind of creative journey I guess has started um by the time I left, yeah, I left school at fifth year. And that's going back a while now. It was in 1989 that I left school. Um, and really at that time, yeah, I'd, I'd been skateboarding for several years by that time. So realistically, all I really was really interested in doing was just skateboarding. But I definitely had no interest in doing any kind of academic type of studies. So and I liked art. So I, I thought, well, I applied in, to Dundee College to do an art and design course. Uh, got into that course and that was really good yeah and I enjoyed enjoyed doing that but uh, conveniently it wasn't too far away from a place we used to skate in Dundee so um could skate there quite a lot um and then did that for a year and then quite enjoyed the design side of things so I actually ended up doing um the HNC in graphic design um which was technically the first year of an HND in it as well and then I had a year out after after doing that that course um kind of because i think yeah again just the urge to just go and skate and travel and do things like that was kind of on my mind but um by the time we got to the end of the, that that year i was actually really enjoying what i was doing so in some ways i was wishing i was I was carrying on to do the course still but i did end up having a year out uh, i went to visit my, my dad who lives in australia uh, for a few months and um just yeah just quite i think it's quite nice to have a bit of time out sometimes doing things like that then but I meanwhile I, I knew I planned on going back to do the the final year of the HND of graphic design so I went back to do that and um yeah so did that for another year and really yeah really enjoyed that it was it was really interesting um yeah I think on the times when I studied at Dundee College it was kind of on these on the cusp certainly for graphic design we're on the kind of cusp of things shifting from being much more kind of analog production methods to digital so even when i first went there they did have some apple Macs with uh, you know super super basic software it was just the old sort of apple like s all in one sort of se30 style old old Macs with small screens but they were still really good to use um but by the time i came back to do the hnd they then had a, a sort of, sort of begins of a full color sort of system with a scanner and color printer 
um, and you were basically just yeah got left to just use it really because I don't even the tutors hadn't really had a chance to learn it so I was really keen to just find my way around it and and work work with those things and, and make stuff um, but yeah I got taught all the to all traditional ways of doing things like paste up graphic design so literally pasting things up on so you know layered estates and doing your lettering with either like letter set or um you'd print things out and use a repographics camera to, to you know print text at really large and scale it down so you'd get nice sharp text and then you'd paste it up and glue things on with wax and all that kind of process which is really really good to learn um but even though you know lots of lots of the industry by that time was obviously would be fully digital and working on it but i think certainly dundee college was you know it was a little bit behind the curve on on technology but um it, and then actually on the very last day of that course after the hnd again i was fully planning on thinking okay i'm just going to take another year out and and just what i'm about and go skating or do something like that and literally on the last day there someone came and actually literally gave me a job even though i wasn't looking for one uh, a local local printers were looking for a, a an extra sort of designer to come and work with them um, it turned out their their processes were perfectly suited everything i'd learned because although they had apple Macs to to work and do stuff on they still had to use anything photographic we had to literally do on a repographics camera and paste all you know so pasting up little pictures into like pro property guides and things like that or um, just making, yeah, doing doing all of that. So perfectly suited those skills, uh, which is really, really, you know, a fun job in the sense that I got got access to the equipment. So even though I was working with another guy initially, and then he, after I think I worked there for about maybe a year and a half or thereabouts, and after a few months, that the guy who initially started working with he left, and I became the sole sort of designer and technician for all of the stuff they had in there but so it meant i had access to all the all the equipment i could you know get work done but i could use it for myself so i ended up um doing a a, a zine at that time as well for myself as well which which i was able to then get printed up really cheaply at the printers as well so that was something i started doing which only ever made it to one physical copy of that magazine i used to do a zine called fruit fruit magazine it went it turned into a website eventually but um but that was yeah that was really good because i always really liked the kind of yeah sort of printed things are really nice i still really like print um still sometimes have the urge that'd be be great to do like a, a zine again or something like that um i'm, I'm assuming fruit was skate oriented yeah i had a lot of skate stuff in it um and i bas basically all what i did is i was just like went to various friends i said like i'm gonna do this you want to write something for it so in that that issue i had um, I had a friend of mine who was studying. Uh, he's a really smart guy. I can't remember what he's studying, but I think he's I think he's a doctor now, basically. But he wrote a, wrote a couple of articles for me. One which was about um, like Ebola virus and <laughs> some stuff like that as well. Um, another friend wrote something about how to how to scam cheap food from cruise ships and things like that. Um, what else? And then sort of cartoons and various things like that as well um it was really yeah it was really good good to do and i was yeah like you know most people's zines are just photocopied kind of jobs but this was done in sort of two color spot color cover with sort of black and white insides and printed, printed them really nice and end up i think i did about 1200 copies of it and um had a friend who worked at forbidden planet in edinburgh and he he bought a whole pile of copies off me sort of for for cash i think it yeah, ended up paying for a, a most of a trip 
flight to Australia actually off the back of doing the zine actually so it's pretty good um, and after I did it I, you know started to get stuff sent to me in the mail because I put a bit in the zine about if anyone's got any articles send them to me and then I, you know this is going back so this is like 1993 so definitely you know er- early internet days and most people weren't on there so it was receiving things in the mail literally from people from other countries which was great um, but I never did do another physical copy of it but I ended up doing a a website eventually. Why? Why not? I think it was just a lot of effort, and by and well, falling on from what I do, I ended up leaving. I wasn't work. I didn't. I wasn't at the printers after a while, so oh, it was. Okay. It would have been. I got it printed ridiculously cheap. There's no way that the the printers <laughs> charged me the, the what they should have charged me for making it. Really, um, so I got a really good deal there. So um, would never have got it done as cheap. And um, plus, I, I, by that time, lean on. Yeah, I. I, I I'd sort of got more interested in the the internet and that side of things and the ability to publish stuff on there as well. So it kind of fairly kind of naturally led on to that to, to for it to be online instead. Um, so yeah, probably makes sense of where things went next after that anyway. So and good. I mean, um, you've obviously mentioned skating quite a lot in your journey so mm-hmm. far already, and and that's going to be a sort of a common theme, I imagine, mm-hmm. as we go forward. But yeah. like. Can you give us an idea of what, like, at that time, so we're talking late 80s, early 90s, what mm. was the skate scene like in, yeah. in Dundee and, like, I suppose across Scotland as well? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, skate scene is really, really different back then, obviously, compared to how things are now. Um, started skateboarding about 1985. So at that time, um, prior to that, I'd, done, I'd been into BMX, um, met some friends who also did BMX in Brody Ferry, and they had these big sort of modern skateboards which i'd never seen at that time um so immediately i was really interested in that so um not long after that i got one and then we'd start coming up to dundee and just exploring around the city center so at that time it was i mean pretty much we were the first people to have sort of done that so there's a whole load of places they started skating and, and wandering around um but so we were fortunate that we had because of the bmx side of things there was a guy in, in brody ferry who's a, a pro bmxer and he had he had a ramp across the road from his house, so that was where people would would ride bikes. And then we um, built a small mini ramp there as well, so we had a place to skate. But that's quite unusual. There wasn't much in Scotland, and as far as skate parks at the time, the only skate park you had was a proper big one was in Livingston, um, which is a really really good big park that's that's uh, sort of known worldwide. Really, it's quite it's quite an infamous park. That was built in 1980, which actually. At that time, let's say before my skating time, but 1980 at that point, I mean, skateboarding was a craze in the 70s, late 70s, and it, by 1980, things were dying. So it's quite a crazy thing for them to build an amazing park like that in Livingston. Um, it's like a whole other huge story behind that as well. It's great. But, um, but that was really the only place. But what the good thing then is that people from all over Scotland would travel to Livingston to skate um, quite regularly, but there would be one big event every year called the Livy, Livy Fun Party. And people would come from all over Scotland, even realistically all over the UK, to come and skate it. Because even even the UK wide, there wasn't that many parks, and and Livingston was probably at that time probably almost like the best park in the UK, almost you know, but certainly one of the best. Um, but certainly had a really good atmosphere for people to skate there, so people would come up and and skate. So that was really it, and you know, as far as big concrete parks, there wasn't much else to skate in Dundee but you, you skated around the streets and it was really fun kind of exploring that um, but that's when we started f- started doing what kind of became known as the factory 
skate parks, which first one was up in Stobbs Well area of Dundee, just up on Arthurstone Terrace. And there was an old building in there that just some of the some of the, the sort of Dundee guys had started going in there and skating it. Just a big old empty disused building. Um and then started building building ramps in there, fixed the building up a little bit. Um the roof used to leak so so the guys were actually weren't trashing the building or doing the opposite, you know, they kind of uh, fix things up and fix leaks in the roof. But, you know, eventually we had lights rigged up. We'd hire a generator the weekends and run lights and um, eventually built a really big, big set of ramps in there as well. Um, and that one, you know, eventually ran, had two pretty big competitions that took place there. Um, again, people would, would travel up from, from other places to come and ride there. Um, certainly across Scotland, people would come as well because, again, there wasn't, you know, Livingston was the only outdoor skate park, the concrete one, but there really wasn't much in uh, indoors at all. So obviously Scotland's got pretty terrible weather a lot of the lot of the year, so it was a brilliant thing to have. Um, and that was just built by ourselves, you know, just had had that need to have something. So um, definitely at that time, especially, there was really, really no chance of seeing the council doing anything to build a skate park or meet that kind of need you know there just wasn't realistically it wasn't that big a demand on it it's like obviously nothing like today with the amount of people skating and so on so it was skating definitely wasn't as mainstream and you were yeah you would people would think you know it was not not ever particularly felt like an outcast in some ways but at at the same time yeah there was it definitely was a, a, a different mentality compared to some people when you would be times where you'd you know, people, some people get into bother of people sort of trying to beat them up and stuff like that for skating randomly and things like that. But, um, but yeah, no, it was that was that was a really good, good, good place to skate and just built that for, yeah, just because we knew nothing else was going to happen. Um, um, wood was acquired by various methods, <laughs> questionable, questionable methods. methods for sure. Um, but we did eventually a lot of the ramps that were built. Sometimes somebody would build a ramp somewhere and they'd be told they had to move it so they'd bring those the wood from that or bring something else there um, and eventually on the final the sort of final version of that which that lasted up until about maybe about three years or so we were in that building so probably like into 1990 at about this point um, the, we actually had a big skateboard company um, some people might know there's a company they're now known as Flip Skateboards they're a really big company but they used to be known as Deathbox and they were a very much UK based company and a lot of their guys used to come up quite often, so they actually gave us a bit of money to pay for sort of resurfacing of the ramp. And um, by near the end, you know, the ramp was incredible. It was really like a really big sort of mini ramp complex with a bunch of different things on it. It was it was really good. Um, so and like, I mean, th- there are. I mean, you're just pretty young guys at that point. Yep. Um, but there's got to be some amount of technical know-how skills tools mm-hmm. required to actually build ramps to the spec that you're talking mm-hmm. about and design them in a way that are like functional but also enjoyable but like where does that side of it come in where does that knowledge or expertise of like essentially like carpentry or joinery like where did that come from yeah probably craft and design at school <laughs> for most people probably um but yeah one one yeah there's one guy my friend nick who skated with a lot he's he's a he's a joiner to this day basically but he's he's uh, very good at building stuff um you know, got good technique and then a lot of other guys just be yeah just go at it with a hammer and, and build stuff so i know certainly the first version of a mini ramp that was in that place was yeah it wasn't great um but that was the one thing that when 
myself and my friend Nick and got involved we we kind of helped rebuild stuff and um I mean people used to get the be plans for ramps and skateboard magazines sometimes and things like that and you knew the general kind of idea you know not not terribly complex in the grand scheme of things of, of what you're doing if you know how, the main thing is knowing the, the kind of the radius of the sort of transitions the curves of ramps you need to depend on how you set those up and you know, can affect how the ramp skates and things like that um so yeah probably just a lot of it's just figuring it out and if you visited somewhere else if you got the opportunity to visit somewhere else that's got a good ramp you would look at that and you would understand how those things were were built really so so yeah there was definitely a bit of trial and error there at times and some of it would be of questionable build quality compared to other bits but um let's say over time just improve things um so yeah no it's 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 pretty good so and so to to, to jump back to the other side of things yep. um you obviously didn't last a particularly long time at the at the print place no so nope. so what was what was the next step where did you go from there yep next step after that like i say i enjoyed enjoyed doing graphic design and that side of things but i was always quite interested in doing my own kind of creative kind of stuff as well so around about that time um that would have been in the 1993 at that point where i was i was uh yeah 93 94 when i was, I was studying sorry uh, i was i was working at the uh the print print place and i heard i think i had friends who were in first year at art college um and then I heard from some of them about a new course that was starting up, um, a new degree at the art course called Time-Based Art that was coming up. And when they explained what that was kind of about, I was like, I was quite interested in it because it sounded like a really, yeah, it sounded right up my street basically in that it was a course that combined all sorts of, you know, aspects. Technically, it was a, it was a fine art degree at that time when it was when it was first done. It was actually a degree in fine art that you got out of it. And so it kind of combined all of that stuff, a bit of drawing, could be performance of video production, um, sort of using cameras, but sort of multimedia technology. Um, so there's a whole load of stuff about it that just sounded really good. And I think at that time, yeah, I quite enjoyed the working in the printers and it was nice earning a bit of money, but I wasn't earning tons of money. So, um, and yeah, just the idea of going to, to art college and doing that course sounded really good. Um, went and had a, had a chat with the guy who was the... the year for the course um and yeah i was able to again one of the benefits of, of working at the print places had access to various had you know computers with photoshop and stuff like that as well so i was able to you know put a folio together for that and was able to to go straight into second year and do do the time-based art degree so that was in yeah that'd been 94 that um did that so that was the yeah for the next three years went and went and did the time-based art degree at duncan and jordanson um that was yeah it was really good so what what did you feel like you got from that then? Yeah, I mean, the course, yeah, like I say, I just, like I say, I've, I've always been interested in lots of different things. And I think, you know, the sort of computers were always of interest to me when I was younger. I was never, even though we had, sort of, you know, like loads of people had with, you know, I don't know, Atari games console and Commodore 64 and various things. And I would, I would kind of try and code things and stuff, but I was never, never great at doing that kind of stuff. But I liked the idea of like playing games, and I like you know, like the idea of making things, and um, it just yeah, let's say just a whole lot of areas. So the, the time-based art course was really interesting, just because it kind of wasn't just with like design aspect of being like okay, design this, and it being sort of client-driven or something like that you were making for someone else. It was very much just about exploring your own ideas, but being able to use 
all of the different technology that you wanted or some you, know, you could if you wanted to you could explore the performance side of things if you wanted to literally be sort of performance kind of art or it could be you could do drawing and painting a bit of the time if you wanted to um but then you also got taught lots of really good practical skills as well so that was one of the advantages of of the course compared to potentially the, the problem you got with some other fine art courses is sometimes you know you've got to be really committed and and uh, to try and make it as a painter and often it can be quite hard going um but the benefit of of the course we had is that although it was very much driven as a as a fine art course but you got you got experience in video editing um let's say using using cameras um multimedia side of things so again the the web wasn't sort of part of this, this is kind of pre-web internet kind of era but things like cd-rom multimedia technology um and even again on that that course is interesting that it was another kind of in the same way i had for the graphic design course at another sort of um shift in technology was happening at the point in time i went there as well where again at the start we were taught sort of camera using cameras and taught uh, video editing but at the first step of all that it was all analog editing so the so the cameras were pretty massive cameras and a lot of it was like going out shooting as a crew so the camera would be you know the camera itself was something big that someone would be holding on their shoulders the the actual video recording deck was connected to it, it was separate that someone was managing that and someone else was managing sound and they got lights so the whole idea was to kind of work as a as a crew so we were taught all those kind of skills but then you were taught how to do multi-camera editing um but again done analog so it's pre you know pre pre-digital side of things you were literally having to you know queuing up various tapes and using big edit suites to learn all that stuff and then started coming you know after maybe one or maybe in my second year of doing that they they got the first sort of big avid non-linear digital editing suite in there which mostly you know you maybe you had to be in your final year to really get access to it but at least the, you got the beginnings of being able to do stuff digitally and do you know editing on a computer basically instead of doing that so that was another really interesting thing about doing that course of having you know experiencing it in the same way I did it with design going from kind of analog to digital techniques had the same for for that sort of technology as well um and that was yeah video was the thing I was really most interested in out of all of that I mean the multimedia side of things was quite quite fun I enjoyed that and the it was kind of a bit of coding on the on that side of things as well but but video production was the bit I I liked most you know video video art was really my my main thing and it's sort of mainly what uh, the work I made for my degree show in the end um, was yeah was video work and stuff video installations and things like that that was what I was really really interested in doing um, so that's yeah that was what most of my work was out of that yeah and so th- obviously you graduate from time based art um, so then what, what where do you go from there after yeah I mean after after time based art I was um Fortunately, I was actually was able to go straight from doing time-based art. I, I um, knew by the end of the degree I'd, I'd uh, got a position as a research intern at, at Duncan & Jorgensen and basically worked for the worked for the college for a year um, doing intentions to largely just sort of supporting people, teaching in classes, um, and then you were supposed to try and... You had a day a week where you were meant to try and do some of your own work, but didn't really work out that well to be honest because you were you were quite busy it's quite a lot of work prepping anyone who's worked works at the art college who knows it's a a lot of work to to prep and do all of that you know so it's um 
web was part of things by that time. It wasn't everything I was ever taught when I was at art college, but I picked it up in my own time, started learning sort of HTML and, and figured out how to make web pages just during the summer one year whilst I was still studying. Um, so that was a big thing I was able to help people with in various classes. So they started, you know, the students would be wanting to make websites for their degree shows more often. So it's sort of help with side of things like that. And um, Flash was still really strong at that time as far as a, a method of people making making sort of design, uh, various web content and 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 as, as also as an animation tool as well. So um, so it'd be teaching Flash to students and stuff, animators and things like that as well. Um, but then during that year, just, yeah, as, as it went on, I was thinking about what I was going to do next, and I was yeah just really keen to try and do my own thing. I didn't yeah I wasn't sort of thinking oh I want to go and work for a company or do something you know still interested in design aspect and things like that so potentially would be interested in doing design but I just yeah th the, the thought of just trying to set up my own thing and, and just work for myself basically and then, so that's what I ended up doing again having access to equipment there um, and video being one of the main things I was I was interested in uh, some of the first work I did when I started um, going freelance um, was was doing video production um, so just making videos for sort of local community organizations um, and, that, and I also continued on after that as well uh, still doing some part-time teaching so for quite a few years after that I still did teaching um, on various and that was good because I earned it was a good way of getting a bit of steady income from that whereas you know getting going working for yourself it's it's, it's hard sometimes to make things uh, work out and obviously just learned I didn't really know what I was doing particularly as far as running a business or whatever you know just enjoyed making things so um, um probably not charging enough money and all those kind of various things you do when you're starting out but but then was able to sort of use all the skills i'd learned over the years but because the yeah, video stuff was good when i got it but it wasn't always the type of work that was available so i'd go back to doing design stuff for people so whether it be whatever brochures flyers leaflet uh, whatever sort of people just general kind of design stuff so I'd pick that up with various people and um and then the web started becoming more of a more of a thing as well started doing more of that as people wanted websites um and yeah started getting more more experience doing that as well so the, eventually that became the, the sort of bigger part of what i was what i was doing um and that's when i started i was sort of like a, just basically self-employed when i started doing that but eventually after about a year and a half of that, I had some help from from someone to set up. I actually established a limited company and got a lot more organised after that. And as far as um, dealing with taxes and all the stuff you have to have to do, so it was a bit of a learning curve there, getting getting going with that. Because yeah, I suppose that must have been at the at the the very start of when obviously the internet and the web had been around for a while at that point, but it's where like it, there becomes a need for companies or organizations or people to have a presence on the web so they're looking for people to build so yeah. like was were there lots of people about doing that sort of sort of stuff or like what was it mm. like by? yeah i mean i guess there was a lot of companies doing it because i mean by this time this was well what year so yeah i graduated in 1997 and worked for 98 through 98 it was doing the research internship and then so by the time i finished that we're in sort of 1999 so at that point yeah you're you're starting gearing up where you've got the kind of you know your 2000 y2k 
dot-com boom kind of era, you know, so things were kind of exploding and about to collapse in a big way there. So there definitely would have been opportunities if I wanted to where um, I could have pursued work elsewhere and at times there, there probably was opportunities either through the the video side of things and a lot of people graduating from from Dundee had they had pretty good industry connections to London to the sort of post production company. So a lot of people did go to London and and could eventually, you know, make a good living down in London working down there. And the same for the web. You know, there was there was a lot of demand at one point, but I really don't didn't have any interest in leaving Dundee. So um I think that's the yeah, so kind of doing my own thing and not yeah, could have could have gone down that route. But um so yeah, there definitely was a lot of companies doing stuff and there was definitely a lot of demand from people to do it um and then like are you working alone are you like bringing other people in how's that yeah i mean just literally just working myself um just like i I did have a guy had a guy who helped me sort of on the business side of things a little bit after let's see after about a year and a half i think i was kind of realizing okay i really should be paying taxes and stuff like that and hadn't really organized myself well so he kind of helped me sort all that out and say set up a limited company and um, get that side of things sorted but yeah as far as doing the actual work um yeah just doing doing everything myself really um, and like just from from home no i had a I had a small office that i used um someone gave me some space i could use on that so most of the time that i've worked for myself i've, I've always had an office of, of some kind i've always liked having that kind of separation um so i was yeah it was it's, it's been yeah I've, I've always liked having a space to work out of most of the time although that's changed on since COVID. I'm now working at home and quite enjoying it, to be honest. But, um, but yeah, that, that's it's good having a small space. And again, it's the sort of thing when you're starting out, especially you feel you certainly feel a bit more professional when you've got a space and if you've you've got got clients coming to visit and you can you, if you're doing that that side of things will work. You know, it's obviously having a nice space to bring people and they can you can show them stuff and it, yeah, I think that's that's something you can't really do the same way if you're if you're working at home. Um, so it was. I think that was one of the things I had in mind at that point in time. Was like, yeah, just having a having a bit of a space that that looks a bit more more professional. Um, so certainly for probably probably did that for several years, just working working by myself. And then eventually, um, I worked on a big project, um, just kind of as a, as a freelance role. But I was working with another couple of guys on it, which was actually doing the website for Edinburgh College of Art. Um, probably about 2003, I think, circa 2003. Um, that was a really interesting project, but I ended it. Uh, one of the guys I was working with was a guy called Andy Flack. Uh, we just really enjoyed working together off the back of that project. Um, so we sort of stayed in touch, and then, yeah, uh, and yeah, eventually we, we started working together. He had his own company, and I had my company. We worked together that for a while, and then eventually sort of rejigged things a bit, and, and he came, became my business partner in the company. And yeah, so so we worked together for for a load of years after that as well, and that worked really well. Cause Andy's, you know, definitely you know, really a good design background and, and a whole load of different aspects. So that kind of became the role more. Moreover, he he did a lot more of the actual design work, and then I was sort of building, you know, coding and developing websites and split the roles across that way a lot more. Um, that, that was really good. And I think so. Before we go on to the next part, as a the sure. journey um you we're now sort of i suppose 10 to maybe 15 years on yep. um on the skate side of things yep. how have things changed at that point sort of around about sort of late 90s and the early yeah. 2000s yeah 
Yep. No, I mean, a lot changed over that time. I mean, whilst, yeah, all that kind of period of value sort of, you know, let's say Dundee College and then Art College went from being this, Dundee College here, we had the place up in Stubbs well, I used to skate. By the time I got to the Art College, that was around about the time where we had um, what the building that's now the DCA. Um, DCA became you know, the, the place up in Stubbs well, closed. Um, I basically got kicked out of there eventually and that was all, the building was flattened. Um, and eventually, a yeah, similar thing, people just found the, the building the DCA was in had been empty for, I don't know, I think the better part of 20 years at that time had just been an empty building. So some people went in, started started cleaning it up. Same kind of thing, went in, nobody was trashing anything. It was absolute opposite. The building was full of um, collapsed car, uh, sort of chipboard shelving covered in pigeon poop, basically. <laughs> and that all got cleaned up and cleared out so that people could skate. Um, and that was like three floor building, three floors that um, same kind of thing. Just people just got a bunch of wood and built built ramps in there. Um, and so that was yeah. So that was around about the time I was studying at art college that that was kind of happening. Um, then again, that lasted for maybe two or three years in there or something. And then towards the end of the nineties, that's when yeah the, the council bought the building and the plans to do to do the uh, to do the DCA happened in there so that that place eventually went as well um but that was again that was a really great place people would come from all over scotland again to kind of skate that it was it was really good but then, um, i mean like the um obviously i've had john bulgins on the on the podcast before but like the yep. the skating and the riding that's happening at that time was yep. of a pretty high level right yeah yeah no i had some good lots of good good guys came through all that and and especially you know some of the stuff that happened in the the, the first factory the one up in Stobswell, I and mean, the two competitions we had there we had i mean just just happened the, the timing of like being some sort of pros visiting from new zealand and other places these really big skaters just happened to be in scotland at the time so they you know the, the people that came to some of these competitions it was just incredible so some of the the skate sessions in there like often like we would, would have lights in there would have a, a generator to power it all night so we'd have sessions where people were just pretty much skating all night but just with these you know your your absolute massive skate heroes these guys you knew through skating would be there and you're skating with them and um just incredible experiences you know so um almost hard to believe sometimes that these things actually happened you know it's quite funny um but same with the dca one yeah people would travel from from all over scotland to come and skate that and it was yeah just generated a really high quality of all of skating and, and riding and like say yeah john john bilchins um yeah rode really well there as well and um it's just yeah it was really nice again being on being where the, the building's located you know there was a lot of people you had sort of quite a few people at art college that skated so people would come down there and, and skate at lunchtime and um just a big community around that so that's that's really the main thing is it's always been a really strong skate community in all of these different locations where people have skated there's been you know, a few other locations where people have skated over the years as well so eventually when the when the dca closed there was a um not so much an, in, an indoor space but up in the up on hawk hill there was a place called the hockey where people a lot of people skated there sort of a um, bit of kind of open land and stuff and that that was used for a few years as well so that was kind of in during the 90s and then basically after the the dca went Again, another situation where you know as much as the the guy who owned the building was really really helpful because he he'd come down i think when he'd heard that people were in the building skating i think he was coming down thinking oh place is going to be getting trashed and not know, knows not knowing what's going to be going on 
Um, but when he came in, he saw that the place had been literally cleaned up and was actually like floors were spotless in comparison with it. He actually became one of our strongest allies and was really, really helpful. And um, when we eventually had to get kicked out of the building, it was sort of himself and his son did their best they could to try and help us find somewhere to relocate the ramps and store them but in the end they all just got pretty much uh, bulldozed and trashed unfortunately but um but i think there's yeah there's something quite interesting philosophically out of that if you build these things and then they last for a period of time and then they disappear and um i don't think we ever let that put us off you know it'd be easy just to think oh, i'm not going to bother trying that again because it just get trashed but i think people just kept I don't, I don't think if people could help themselves really just you just want to start building something else to skate and if you you know if you got kicked out of one place you would go and try something else um so that place went and then um the first kind of official place to skate that we ever kind of got was eventually in about 1998 there was um the church the gate church up on the perth road um um basically yeah they realized that there was a bit of a need for you know, people want a place to skate. Had been kicked out of all these these, these different places. Um, so they started up a, a community skate park, basically in about ninety eight, just over on Blinchell Street. Um, not a gigantic place, but it was it was really good. Um, and that that ran from yeah, sort of early ninety eight till in that location till early early two thousands. Basically, it was just a, a great little little indoor place, which again, Scotland's always even to this day it's got very few indoor skate parks for given how bad our weather is there's 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 not very many of them but but especially back then there wasn't there wasn't many indoor parks so again people would travel to dundee quite a lot to skate those places um and that was yeah that, eventually that became i say immediately as soon as that place opened it was obvious it was too small for the demand but it so the intention was to try and do something bigger but it took it took until about 2003 2004 or something where they eventually they yeah it, it turned into you know they eventually built a purpose-built building up in douglas that uh, basically became a sort of full-on really fancy you know you hadn't ever really seen a skate park like it at the time because usually skate parks are built in some kind of old scruffy building in some kind of cheap part of town this was one of the first that was you know at least it was custom built to be a skate park and it was all completely slick inside and nice restaurant and all this kind of stuff in there you know so that that eventually happened and that, that was still open until a few years ago it closed a few years ago it was actually before the pandemic it all closed but um, that was that was still going um and that, that all started back and yeah it's sort of origins of that back to sort of 1998 um so that's so that's your kind of official kind of skate skating stuff that happened during that time but um about the beginning once you get into the early 2000s um Sort of 2004 2005 that's when you, you start to get the rise of a, a new wave of concrete outdoor parks started happening um the skate parks have been built during the 90s they, they, they did build a lot of stuff but they were mostly these generally pretty terrible prefabricated metal metal skate parks built a lot of the times built by companies that were really play park companies and didn't really know the, what they were doing and council spent tons of money on these these things that weren't great and then didn't get used very much and it kind of ended up meaning that um, the councils thought, oh, nobody wants, nobody's skating, nobody wants to do this, so why, why build anything? But the problem was that they were building um, pretty terrible facilities, so nobody wanted to use them. Um, yeah, so essentially the, it was a design flaw in, the, yeah. in what was being created, yeah. um, not yeah. in the desire to, to skate. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, and just stuff, I mean, in some cases, stuff that was 
like literally almost unskatable, just so badly made, you know. But certainly, at the very least, uninspiring, you know, not 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 very good. And given like they weren't cheap, it wasn't like they were being built on the cheap. They were companies were they were paying a lot of money to these companies to make them. But problem was that they were yeah the the they weren't very exciting and okay if you were if you were a kid you live nearby or something you were going to ride them but they weren't they weren't sort of thing that would inspire people to travel and come from different places to skate um so though they built these things eventually i think perth was actually the first skate park that was built which i think was about sort of roughly 2004 2005 kind of era um and i think that was a fairly forward thinking architect that worked with Perth Council that sort of kind of got on got on board and was was quite involved in that, um, and actually working with the company that built that was actually a, a, a construction company that built that one. It wasn't a skate park manufacturing company, which at that time there almost really wasn't any in in Britain at the time. Really, um, certainly not in Scotland. Uh, probably the whole of the UK there wasn't much happening in there. Um, but they just the the architect did his research pretty well and and like had skaters involved to kind of look at the design um built that and so once after they built that one um there was a group of group of people that used to skate and um like the hot chocolate trust that been going for a long time they've they've been going for years and they used a lot of that started we used to get a lot of young guys and stuff that would hang out skating on the the steps of the steeple church in town um so a bunch of the guys and girls that that skated there eventually they're they wanted a place to skate but um again all the kind of indoor places um had either closed or they were there or the problem was that an indoor skate park you know it's great to have them but the part of the challenge is that it costs money to to use them a lot of people can't afford to skate there all the time um so it's a bit of a catch-22 to you know it's very challenging trying to run run an indoor skate park and, and make them make them work economically um but that was really the drive to try and get an outdoor skate park so that's when the um, they set up a, it was a group called Skaters with a Vision that, that started from there um, and that's eventually that's what led to the skate park in Duddett Park uh, being built and that opened in 2006 um, and then from there on you know, kind of throughout Scotland there was like a, you know it led on to a bunch of other parks being built all over the place and um, from then up until today I mean now there's yeah frankly quite a ridiculous amount of skate parks that are in Scotland now you know um, so we're spoilt, spoilt for choice, and it's yeah we never could have imagined that back in the the eighties, early nineties that we would have this many things to skate. It just just didn't seem possible. So, yeah. but there's the, the the demand is there, right? The yep. the the audience, whether it's I mean now you've seen the rise of sort of scooters as well as mm-hmm. skaters, BMX or rollerbladers. Like every like there's a much broader audience. It's much more of a mainstream sport or activity, whatever you want to call it. But. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's grown over time. I mean, it was I mean, it was gained popularity back back then, but um, but it's, the thing is as well, if you, you know, if you build skate parks, then obviously you're creating more opportunity for people to become interested in those. If there isn't facilities to go and skate, then um, then there's less opportunity for people to either see people skating and think, oh, I want to try that or something. You just don't see much of it. Um, so that that kind of helps anyway. And and over time, yeah, it's just become gradually become a bit more kind of mainstream in some ways i know not everybody's really into that but at the same time it's got that benefit you know if you've got more people doing things then it, it does potentially uh, result in more facilities being built and we've seen that over the last few years um i say even before the pandemic all there was 
a definite rise in, in interest of people skating. Um, part of that would be even just as people got older, the people like my age who I mean, haven't really stopped skating, skated ever since the mid 80s, but you've got some people who you know skated for a few years, then they stopped, and then over time have got married, had kids, kids get older, kids get interested in skateboarding, or or, or just um, they themselves just suddenly remember about skateboarding and think, oh, I'll get a skateboard again, and just have started getting back into skating um, themselves after having sort of 20 years not doing it or something. So you, you get people like that um, getting back into it. And then, yeah, so definitely sort of leading up to the pandemic and, and during it, there's a huge amount of people got really interested in, in skating. Um, really big upsurge in, in girls skating too, which is great, you know, because, yeah, definitely historically it'd been, you know, very much a, a, a guy's oriented sport of, of activity people doing it there wasn't you know certainly back in the 80s there'd be, you know be a few girls that were maybe hanging around the skate park a bit but it was, it was unusual that there was many girls that would actually be interested in skating whereas now it's brilliant yeah there's such a such a huge amount of um yeah a, like there's a lot of organizations out there and a lot, you know i think it can be intimidating for anyone sometimes going to a skate park maybe if you don't know anyone you're, you're turning up that can be a bit hard but there's lots of different groups in you know various cities I think there's groups in Dundee there's various places that yeah groups of people who get together and it's good too as well and that it's not there's no kind of pressure from like you know how good are you or that kind of thing people just skate and have fun and um definitely think yeah it's a really definitely a really good vibe at a lot of skate parks just of, of a lot of mixture of different people skating and it's definitely about having having fun and there's not a real not a stress of of it being any kind of big pressure of like oh you know if you're not a good skater you can't fit in and all that kind of stuff which is which is really nice you know because i think i think that can sometimes happen at skate parks i think dundee's generally had a pretty good scene overall throughout the years where generally people are just into having fun and really welcoming it links to what you're saying about the going into these disused spaces and actually cleaning them up but it's the, the sort of the misconception or the the perception of the unknown um of people of a sort of this culture that is around skating and and what actually happens and why it happens and the mm-hmm. the knowledge the expertise the like everything that goes into making it function um, as a sort of ecosystem around these spaces in the city um, and if you're not part of that or you don't understand it and you actually coming into that space or um, hearing about it or observing it um, yeah it can be yeah it can maybe feel a bit intimidating or mm-hmm. but yeah as you say like it, it's great to see more and more people getting involved and that they can just come and enjoy these spaces as well because I think as well as, as you mentioned like during the pandemic like just getting outside and having yep. that activity that you can do where um yeah like the the, the barrier to entry the yep. even the um like the cost side of it is yeah probably relatively low um yeah. to get into it and just pick it up and just head along assuming the weather is yep good yeah. enough yeah. yeah no it's not like say that's a good thing about it it's not it's not an expensive sport to get into you know activity to do it's um you can get yeah you tend to want to avoid picking up a skateboard from argos or somewhere like that but even even going and picking up um, you know, you can you can get a, a decent enough skateboard for sort of fifty or sixty pounds. You know, um, you know, you know, for for learning, you know, you definitely don't want a super cheap board. But um, compared to a lot of other activities, you know, that's that's not a lot of money. Um, and a board will 
you know, certainly when you're learning, you're not generally going to go through a board very quickly. So it'll last you quite a while if you just want to skate and roll around. And that's what has been great in the last few years. Um, especially down on the riverside around the V&A and places like that has been, um, it's like Slesser Gardens has been a, a really nice place for people just to hang out and, and, and skate and do whatever, you know, even obviously riding bikes and doing that kind of stuff. But uh, it's been really nice too, with just the, the V&A being quite supportive of skating in general. And it, it could have very easily been one of these things that was built and immediately all loads of measures put in place to stop people from skating around there. But they've, they've you know, been pretty encouraging about doing doing so, um, letting people skate. And they've had a few, a few different skate-related events and acknowledged that, which is really good, you know, because that, that would have been, yeah, would have been pretty bad if it was putting in a lot of the first what they called like defensive architecture measures in to stop people skating and um that yeah would have been a, would have been a bit of a shame because i think there's a lot of a, it's a big part of that something i'm quite interested in is the um whole kind of thing in public space of people skating and and doing things and all the different roles of um yeah public space in general what how that should serve people or what opportunities that should bring and uh, you know yeah historically you would kind of i don't know you get public space where people just pass through it on from a to b or they're on their way to work or something but more and more and i think especially during pandemic it's that whole idea of having outdoor space that you can use and, and valuing that space has been something that's be kind of really seen the value in that and it's been you know being able to go outside and go to some of these places has been been really good um and I, so I, th- I think that's yeah, something that we could could do with seeing more of having spaces that are purposefully accommodating skating and I guess just in a broader sense of just wheeled wheeled activities. Something whether that's skating or whatever that is, bikes, just to have more more spaces and keeping that in mind. because um, there there's a lot of lot of cities that have done you know, both in, in the UK and uh, and elsewhere they've um done some really good projects. I know down in Hull they've done quite a lot of stuff with uh, Nottingham too. They've um, done a few things where they've actually now built, be, be part of like an actual building development being done where they purposefully include some features that are actually skatable features, but they're designed on purpose to be that way so that they're um, tough enough to withstand the fact that people are going to skate on things, but also just understood that that's part of the deal. You know, you can you can skate there and and do it, and and Melbourne and Australia have. Um, they've got a whole strategy of Melbourne being a skatable city and anticipating that's going to be one of the methods of, even just as a method of transport, people travelling around, that people will skate from A to B and do stuff, but obviously incorporating something, you know, actual skatable um, architecture in these places too, which is which is really interesting. Um, so yeah, like, I mean, the, the skatable architecture is a, is a total discipline now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that the other thing that... that interests me is is like the the mentality that comes with skating and the 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 way that you look at a landscape uh, a set of stairs a rail a bench a curb um mm-hmm. a pavement a, like all these features that are around um like a skater can look at the world completely differently mm-hmm. to someone else and i i imagine um other people using spaces in different ways like people who um use a wheelchair for example will look at specific drop curbs or um, yeah. areas or, or and have 
different issues with them, but I suppose it's kind of like we all have this our own little perception of the world around us, and I think skating is maybe like a a kind of particular way of looking at, and I suppose mostly urban landscapes mm-hmm. and, and the features of them. Yeah, yeah. No, definitely. I think. I mean, yeah, you, you definitely have a, a different way of looking looking at places, and I know, yeah times when i've traveled around places you yeah you, you do look at a city in a different a different light you know you might you know be different things that might attract you to a certain place um i don't know you might travel somewhere go on a holiday but as a skater you, you go on holiday and you're just like thinking oh, what is there to ride there you know what are, um and that's yeah that's that's yeah you, you do definitely look at cities a different way and i think that's um makes you i don't know you appreciate them in different ways as well and sometimes it can be that places that might not look very appealing to some people might look a bit um, like run down or just really concrete and kind of industrial, you know, actually end up being like a really great place to skate, but actually, you know, in other respects might, you know, might not be a very nice place, but it presents loads of opportunity. Um, but yeah, you do definitely, definitely see things in a different way. And, and even just traveling, I mean, people, again, as a skater, you'll, you'll go traveling to different places literally because you're you're going because you're gonna i'm gonna go there and go and skate you know and there's lots of places in barcelona is really popular people a lot of people travel from all over the world and go and skate there and hang out and a lot of other places like that too you know but you'll you'll go traveling because you know summer is really good for skating in the first place um then other times you might just go traveling and then you discover something you think oh that's i went there and there was like these really good marble ledges and all sorts of stuff first my dad lived in dubai for pretty much the whole of the nineteen eighties, so I was fortunate to to travel out to Dubai two or three times a year, and this is before Dubai started turned into the gigantic place it is now. It's, it was nothing like that then. It was still heaps of desert around, but but even back then, certain places I went to were just um, incredible sort of marble ledges and all sorts of stuff. So despite the fact it was ridiculously hot, um, it was an amazing place to go and go and skate. So I just go out and just just be skating around and exploring places um so it's yeah that's been one of the fun things sometimes skating you just you just go and visit a city skate around I mean, fortunately i've been in new york before and just just literally rolling around the streets of new york and brooklyn banks and places like that and just all these places you've seen in videos lots of stuff times we'll be like oh i saw that in a skate video so you're like you want to go and check it out and you get there and it's some grotty little spot that no one in their right mind would ever go to but from skateboarding perspective, it's absolutely you know sort of holy grail kind of place to visit. You know, so I've, I've been uh, fortunate to be in a few of those sort of places. So you, yeah, you do you do view architecture in a in a different way. So, um, so to jump back to your journey, sure, um, where we we left it around about two thousand five, two thousand six, yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah. I'd say yeah. I guess I mean around that time, I'd say I started starting working with Andy Flack, two of us working together. Um, did that yeah worked on various projects various things a lot of web stuff and still doing still we did we did a lot of print work probably during that time as well still um sort of doing sort of design and web design um so yeah definitely kind of kind of gone back in a in a full circle almost from having done design gone to do fine art and done all my kind of own thing and then went back to basically you know setting up a company and, and just doing design work for clients basically um, so kind of full circle, but at that point you're sort of, yeah, obviously trying to earn some money and make a living from things. So that's that was it was kind of a, a good opportunity and, and uh, worked on that. That did that. Um, well, I mean, basically up, up until basically about four years ago, um, 
finished doing that that company that used to do because we uh, that was when we we first met was when i joined fleet collective yep um and it was there were three of you then yeah 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 no at that time yeah towards the end had um had base with andy i had another guy called brian that worked worked for us doing some programming as well um it was great yeah i really you know really enjoyed the work we were doing it was really you know did lots of really interesting projects and i like i say working out a fleet collective was great too just just working on, on various different projects with different people was really good and, and working in that space was really really good um so probably did that up until yeah so like i say probably about four years ago and then um I think just kind of just eventually just felt like needed probably you know largely just being the difficulties of trying to make enough money out of it I mean, over you know during that you know that whole kind of story that obviously back in early two, 2002 I got married and then had my first kid not long after that and then now up up, up until modern times I've now got, I've got three kids and your your uh, requirements of what you're trying to do and earning money and stuff become you know a bit more bit more of a, a thing you're conscious of so um yeah i just i think maybe just partly bit bit of kind of burnout and just feeling like didn't really know how to make things i don't know didn't know how to make things better and we we worked really hard we worked on loads of stuff and it was sometimes just felt really frustrating that we couldn't um you know various things we tried I mean, at one time sort of before i mean nowadays i do a lot of wordpress related um website development specialized in that quite a lot but prior to that one point in time we built our own entire content management system that we used to build a lot of our websites on and we looked to try and turn that into a product to try and sell and do all these kind of things and um as much as we tried to get funding to try and make all that happen and we just always just felt like we could never quite make all these things go the way we wanted you know um and eventually i think you know as much as i really enjoyed doing the work got to the point where I thought like I just can't really can't really do this anymore just felt at the time I didn't even know if I would just feel like I needed a change and I didn't really know whether that meant I was just going to do something completely different or what but I just felt like I just yeah just it's yeah just felt like it was hard to keep on on doing it so um so in the end yeah what do Andy and and Brian I worked with they ended up um a, a local company MTC Media took over most of my clients that I had and, and Andy and Brian got some got jobs with them working um, and I just decided to take some time out for a, a few months and just kind of see see what I was thinking and try and figure out what I wanted to do really you know because it was you know, definitely definitely sad it was hard after because it was close to 20 years basically that I'd been doing from starting out myself and doing stuff so um, it was definitely uh felt like the you know end of something something there it was, it was definitely a little bit sad for sure um so yeah no that was that was definitely a bit hard but um after a few months um i had one client in london that i'd always done bits and pieces for and um she hadn't really done any work for quite some quite some time but they'd got in touch looking for for me to do some work for them so i just yeah opportunities came about for that so i, I started doing some freelance work for them um and stuff yeah i think just difference with working for them is that I, the sort of work i tend to do now is generally pretty much like i guess like you know kind of refer to it as like third party contracting where i'm i'm usually about th third or fourth in the food chain on these projects that i rarely have any kind of direct client contact time 
I tend to be working with other designers or other people who have often done a lot of the thinking on the project or figuring stuff out and it's often my job to sort of build build the, the products or the whatever things that people want to build um, still have some insight on design on things and some input but um, a lot of the times it's, it can certainly for the client in London stuff like okay this is what the thing looks like let's just turn this into a website that kind of thing um, and is is that what you is that what you want is that what you like yeah I mean it's good in the sense that it's, I, I, it feels like the it feels like I can make a good living from that, not having to get too caught up in the the weeds of trying to make these things work, and especially on that stuff because it's, um, I say there's no glory in in that work in any sense. Not that I'm particularly bothered about that, but it's it's nobody you know I I can't really tell anyone the projects I've been working on because I'm generally you know, it's it's quite some big name clients at the end. All this stuff is for, but you know, obviously none of my names on any of that kind of stuff. But I'm not really that bothered about that. I'll, you know, these, the stuff's generally quite good. And my, I guess my main main focus has been on like, well, I want to just be able to try and earn a, a decent living and try and uh, you know keep, <laughs> support my family and do stuff like that. So the the ideas of uh, I guess on the creative side of things, in some ways, you. You're, you're not quite so concerned about it of simply because you're like, okay, this is good. I'm doing stuff, I don't, like, like you say, I, far worse ways to be making a living. You know, there's the fact that I sit in front of a computer and type things on a keyboard and make money is quite an incredible way to make money in some ways. Um, it could be could be a lot lot worse ways of, of doing things. and um, So, yeah, that's... So that's one way of looking at it. Um, but I do do some other stuff that's that's more interesting. Let's say it tends to be with stuff either like like working with yourself and Lyle and um, other other local organisations doing stuff. And those projects are a lot more interesting. You know, worked on things like Dundee Design Festival websites over the years, and uh, you know that sort of works a lot more creatively interesting because there's um, usually a few challenges amongst those and some some fun things to work on. You know, so so overall, I think it's quite a good good balance um and yeah it's kind of it's interesting because yeah because i've largely largely coding and and coding websites is, is what i kind of do so whereas i've gone from doing a lot of you know sort of fine art background and stuff like that and i don't do a ton of other things but yeah sometimes i have more and more of an urge to to try and do some other stuff that's uh, they're probably the only sort of other creative outlets i've messed around with doing sort of got a small kind of t-shirt company type of thing that i've done which don't do a lot with that, but it's kind of a a wee bit of an opportunity to do some you know visual sort of illustration stuff and put that out there and um, yeah, at times I think maybe I've had a bit more of an inkling to try and do a, uh, like I say I've got a decent phone I can film with, but I've had a bit more of an urge recently to to maybe get a camera again and try and do a, start doing a um, bit more video work again, but for like for myself you know like the kind of um, quite contemplating maybe trying to recreate some of the work I did in my uh, degree show but using modern technology and, and so if that's uh, we're probably just gonna have to wrap things up sure but, um if that's the, f- the the future for you creatively what do you see as the future for for skating for skating yeah yeah I mean skating I say it looks good in the sense, like you say, there's lots of people skating, lots of people doing it, which is really good. So there's... I mean, to just jump in there, yeah. like, I, I suppose one of the things that may 
come into that thinking or may have affected that is obviously skateboarding has become an Olympic sport. Mm. And I mean, how yep. do you feel about that? Yeah, I mean, it's a tricky one. I mean, I'm, um, I'm, yeah, I know it's, yeah, skateboarding being the Olympics, it's kind of one of these things that it, it can sort of split people's opinions on that. Um, and my side of another thing I've been involved in over the years is an organisation called Skateboard Scotland, which is basically the, you know, we're the official governing body for skateboarding in Scotland. And uh, I've been involved in them since, yeah, since the early 2000s, really. Um, and a lot of our aim of doing that is just literally because, um, if you want to have somebody involved in organising things for for your for skateboarding, you really want skaters to be doing it rather than someone else coming in. So we've been doing that for a while, but obviously, as skateboarding's got more popular, there's definitely been a few times where things have come up where you've got some people who potentially sensing there might be some money in it to be involved in it who've who've appeared, and that's so that's kind of one of our roles as an organisation is that you know we are skaters, and we you know we just a lot of what we've done over the years is just trying to try and make sure that decent skate parks are built so that people don't waste their money so um so we do work with sports scotland quite a lot of sports scotland fund any kind of skate park it basically we we get a chance to look at the designs and to to speak and coordinate with the people trying to do it just to um to give feedback and, and make sure things are, are built well um, and sports scotland themselves have gotten quite quite good over the years as well just to, to understand when something's um looking looking good or not um so from that side of things yeah it's as much as sometimes people don't like the organized side of skateboarding i mean on the whole i think people know that skateboard scotland's run by skaters and it's not yeah it's not not whatever whatever not like a bunch of suits or whatever they think or whatever you know people are just interested in skating um but at the same time realizing that you know the olympics can have some benefits um hopefully what that will result in is, is being some more more money coming into things to to fund skate parks and and we i say we already have a lot of skate parks in scotland in many ways but what we're definitely lacking is is more indoor facilities so it's certainly something i would be really keen to see happen i know in dundee as well there's, there's a couple of young guys are trying to get an indoor park going again in dundee right now um which hopefully they're going to make that happen so they definitely um i'm hoping they'll get get as much support as they can to try and to make that happen um but it sort of need that elsewhere in scotland too there are a few other i mean you've got aberdeen there's a big skate park edinburgh has a you know not a massive indoor one but it's pretty regularly used glasgow you've got one in uh one there and one in dumbarton sort of nearby as well and then there's but i mean you're talking for the whole of scotland there's seven or eight indoor skate parks pretty much for the whole place it's not very much um and if you really want to develop skateboarding and for that to become more established and and then you we, we kind of need more more indoor facilities so i think that's that's something we could definitely see an improvement in um hopefully the again the people skate to have fun and that's largely how people want to do it but there's certainly nothing wrong if if you're good enough and you can sort of potentially make that happen as a as a career in skateboarding um now more than ever there's it's it's possible to kind of do that um as much as there's now more than ever there's there's tons and tons of people skating but certainly historically you know some of the guys who made it big out of skateboarding and certainly out of scotland and even britain as a whole there wasn't a lot of money in skateboarding you certainly again going way back to the 90s you, know, you get guys in scotland who are absolutely amazing skaters but unless you were down in london there was no opportunity to 
get much out of it. So they were brilliant, brilliant skaters. That's why eventually, you know, a lot of people would leave the Britain and go, you know, go to America and skate because that's just where the industry was by and large. If you wanted to make it big and do it, so there was always a bit of a a need to kind of do that in many ways. But the, um, I don't know. Yeah, I think more so. There's more opportunity if if you want to. If you you know if there's ways of making making it work if you want to be try and be a professional skater but the olympics things yeah it's definitely new there's definitely a a lot to figure out there and it's i think um yeah there's a a lot of challenges there and and how well from the perspective of trying to have some olympic success which is definitely not not something that as many people are that that bothered about um obviously it can make skateboarding more popular by seeing that but the actual practicalities of people trying to make it to the olympics and be in there it's, it's it's definitely a tougher challenge for for uh, britain in general there's a bit of an even tougher challenge for scottish skaters because i think again facility wise we don't have as many facilities and um i, th- I think yeah maybe maybe we sort of younger because you yeah, kind of all the time you've got like a newer younger generation of skaters coming up so maybe out of the sort of new younger generation of skaters have seen that might be like might be able to kind of make it work but unfortunately it requires traveling you can't just sort of stay in one place in scotland and make that happen if you want to try and do the whole kind of route for qualifying for the olympics you've got to travel to other countries to do the competitions and do all that kind of stuff so it's it takes money so that's that's what we're hoping we can try and do is for the people who are interested in doing that we'll try and get sort of opportunities and money available so that people can travel and and try and make that happen yeah so at this point, um, just before we finish up, um, I like to ask people to to recommend something that they've been listening to or watching or reading recently, um, and I'm actually going to make a recommendation based upon what we've been talking about sure. of something that I watched recently. Cool. I think it's only available on uh, Amazon Prime, um, okay. but it's called Borders, and it's the story um, of three British. Um, skateboarders on their sort of journey to Tokyo 2020 Olympics and trying to qualify for that and then being supported on that but what I actually really liked about it and didn't actually expect was the sort of depth Mm -hmm. that it had and the they talk about the sort of sponsorship the financial aspect of it but the sort of mental health aspect of it the benefit of it the the culture, the camaraderie, the, the what they get out of it, this the, yeah. what you're talking about, this this sort of the difficulty and and being able to take it to that world mm-hmm. stage yep. coming from a wet country with yep. not great facilities. Yeah, I just found it like it had a real real great sort of insight into mm-hmm. the sort of the lives of a of a skateboarder but like a, a sort of the, the the culture as well and, and where that's come from and, and yeah um their journeys and i thought yeah it's so yeah that's borders um i'll put the link in the in the show notes to it but yeah. is there yeah is there anything else that you would recommend yeah i mean kind of connection i mean one thing's come to mind when you sort of mention that from mental health side of things um it's not a not a video as such but there's a, a project which um there's a, there's a again one example of a scottish skater who who left scotland and, and made it big in america as a um as a 
friend of mine called John Rattery, skater from Aberdeen, um, and he's lived in America for some time now. He's, he was pro for zero skateboards for a long time. Brilliant, amazing skater, but really nice guy. But he, and increasingly over the last few years, there's been quite a lot of things within skateboarding related to mental health, um, various sort of projects going on, partly led on from uh, unfortunate um, sort of suicides have happened and in response to some of that. And, and John runs a project, um, which generally, I think he's had a couple of different names, but generally known as Why So Sad. Um, and he's off, he's done several things where, um, basically, a way to raise money for for mental health. He's he had a suicide in his family some years ago, so it's something really close to uh, to home for him. So he's raised money for Scottish Association for Mental Health and also for organisations in the US. And he do things where like they'll um, do big bike rides to somewhere, and they'll be like. Um, him trying to relearn a trick he's not done for a long time within skateboarding there's there's a few tricks that are known um that have sad in the name there's a sad plant which is a type of invert hand plant when you can go upside down um and there's another kind of grab called a sad grab um so he's he's done a bunch of things where he makes makes t-shirts and various sort of things along with that so i think the website for that i think the one that would be is the um the predatory bird Dot com, I think is the website for that. Certainly, the predatory bird, I think, is the Instagram handle for it. Uh, that's yeah, it's a really interesting project. Um, so that's yeah, that's definitely one that comes to mind. Um, trying to think what else for recommending. I mean, um, I'm always really. It's great when people do, um, sort of from a skateboarding perspective. You know, seeing people kind of make things and try and try and get companies and things off the ground related to skateboarding. So. Um, I think it's good to give a shout out to um, there is a there is a local company um, the the Bonnie Company who are starting have been pressing skateboards and Dundee's been doing some various kind of cruiser decks for a while but I know he's just starting to do some actual regular um, more mainstream sort of popsicle type you know shapes of boards and things like that as well so it'd be worth checking out the the, the Bonnie Company on Instagram because I know they're uh, well worth checking out. Um, because that's yeah great i think just that whole idea of, of people starting to make you know being able to make the entire skateboard and have that happening sort of as a as a homegrown kind of scottish scottish industry um is really good because you know historically skateboards were either made in america or made you know more nowadays you know obviously china is a, a place where stuff's made but often stuff's done out there and people might get boards and they might they might screen print them here but being able to kind of do all of that and and see more more opportunity to to do things, I think, is really good. Um, so yeah, I think it'd be good. Great. And if anyone wants to find you, yeah, um, or get in touch, how do they do that? Yeah, I mean, find me on Instagram's probably the place. I, I, I'm looking this morning. I haven't po- I, I posted today on something, and practically I haven't posted for a while. But Instagram, I'm I'm on on Instagram all the time, looking at stuff. I mean, just goes just at Rick Hearn on Instagram. At Rick Hearn on Twitter as well, so again, don't don't post a ton on there, but I'm on there looking at things and stuff like that. Uh, Facebook, Rick, yeah, Rick Kern on most social things that are there. Lucky you've got that. Like you either get on really early, yeah. or just have a super unique name. Yeah, yeah. Well, I tend to do it. I'm I am on TikTok at Rick Kern as well, but you won't really. I'm not really on there. I just <laughs> um, my daughter was quite interested in it, so. It's, uh, <laughs> but yeah, Instagram's really good because it's just there's a lot of. Yeah, you can always find a lot of great skateboarding, interesting stuff there as well, and um, so it's yeah, good, good, good thing. Great, well, thanks very much. Cool.
Thank you very much to Rick for being a guest um, and giving the sort of two sides to his story and um, yeah, they, they sort of nicely complement each other um, in that extra long episode. Um, and if you did enjoy the sort of long forms sort of over an hour, um, do let me know. Um, I'm always interested to hear your feedback. Uh, I have been going a little bit longer um, since the return of the podcast of doing longer chats it gives me a bit more time to explore subjects um, with the guests and I feel we can get a bit sort of deeper um, into the topics especially if you had sort of significantly longer journeys um, but yeah let me know if you enjoy that if you don't if you want them shorter or longer yeah I'm always open to feedback so let me know um, and yeah if you've enjoyed this episode if you've enjoyed any of the previous episodes at all and you'd like to support the podcast you can do now and it's ko-fi.com forward slash ccc dundee um, and if you want to know about all the episodes that are up and coming it's at ccc dundee on twitter and instagram facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash ccc dundee and yet yeah, all that remains to be said is it's next week um i've got one more episode uh, before i'm going to go on a bit of a summer break um yeah and you can Find out who that is next week. Bye.